0: Since the beginning of this podcast, there's been a few characters that I've introduced, and some of them play a part in this episode. For the sake of convenience, let's have a quick roundup of these individuals. They're all real people, but I've changed their names. So, there's me, Adam, the English teacher and main protagonist. Then there's Kelly, a young American English teacher who works in the class next door. Then Penny, the middle-aged American teacher, teaches grade 7. And Mark, another middle-aged American teacher in grade 3. There are a few other characters knocking about, like Eddie, an Arizona man, two more American teachers, Jane, our Chinese manager, and Shin, the administrator, although they don't really feature in this episode. Finally, in case you missed any events leading up to this pivotal moment... Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer... A young woman named Shin picked me up at Shanghai Pudong Airport. My first taste of China was the exotic airport Burger King. Then into a minivan and off down five-lane highways to Changshu City. Jane tried to reduce the sudden tension in the room, explaining that foreigners in China should try to understand that they are not at home anymore and there are some differences about how school works. At this Eddie let out an oh she didn't just say that groan. Mark's hand slammed down on the table. Anger was afoot. At high volume he castigated the school and its pawns of tyranny And with that, he left the room. But Mark was really quite full-on about how everyone should stop judging him for his views on economics. just because he thinks that the Fed is going to destroy the country with their quantitative easing, doesn't mean he's a bigot, okay? I couldn't agree more. That does seem like quite a leap to make. there was a sense that foreign teachers weren't truly expected to teach. Sure, you can if you want, but handing out good grades, writing pleasantries to the parents, and making yourself available for publicity was more important. Penny found this particularly annoying, and it was a frustration deepened by the bad communication. We didn't find out about school trips or schedule changes until the last minute. We were, however, adorned with gifts, which made us feel like these mute princesses. It appeared that the school was testing us. At least, Eddie thought so. He sent a hastily drafted email around the foreign teachers, telling them that this management is new, he said, and they're trying to cement their authority. But their organisation is bad and they're making mistakes. Mistakes which are going to cost us time and money. Our best bet, concluded Eddie, was to stick together and not let them walk all over us. Mark and Kelly replied, the rest of us didn't. Unity was evidently not going to be one of our defining features. This episode contains swearing. It was a long time coming. A build-up of the pressure that comes with very different outlooks and a polite environment. As is often the case with these things, alcohol opened the door. Some of us had begun visiting a western-style bar in the city called Brew Kettle. With its grey exterior, brown interior, and dry burgers, it was perfect for us. The Canadian who ran it was a welcoming man and had managed to create a bit of a hub. It was the place to go, and so we went. Mark was by far the most beer-inclined individual among us. He used terms like beer o'clock. It was Friday night, and I was joining Mark, his family and Kelly and her husband, Ralph, for an alcohol fueled wind-down. We got the four bus from outside the school, and it dawdled excruciatingly slowly towards the city. At our tea Mart, we had to change buses. When the 11 bus peered, Mark leapt out of the bus stop and charged towards the bus. He obviously presumed that we were right behind him, because when he turned to see three young Chinese women getting on after him, he said loudly, for us, rather than them. The line, ladies. These ladies hadn't jumped the line, but Mark was referring to a particularly Chinese trait, one of scrambling to the front of the line. In the lunch line, ticket train counter, hospital reception, post office counter and taxi rank, I had been jostled into consistent second place on some occasions. And rarely will you find a Westerner here who hasn't ground their teeth in such moments. On this occasion, however, the ladies... Was simply boarding a bus. Autumn was struggling against the unstoppable charge of winter. I was still in denial that winter in Changshu would be anything but a vaguely chilly summer. But on an evening like this I wanted to sit inside in the bar. Unfortunately, there were kids among us and outside was deemed more family friendly. We sat chatting about our first impressions of China in the school. I hadn't noticed the shoddy building standards that Mark seemed to have seen nor the inedible lunches which turned Kelly's stomach. But I could relate to some of the problems that we all seemed to share. Mark's biggest problem was his classes. The kids were uncontrollable and the syllabus went way over their heads. He was teaching grade 3, about 10 years old, but had to go down to grade 2 material to get the English up to scratch. Kelly agreed that the kids were pretty useless, sharing her stories about how many backwards J's she had to correct. But Mark dismissed this saying teaching first grade was so easy a monkey could do it. Right, yeah, said Kelly, designating herself and me the monkey level, somewhat below Mark in his developing title, King Ape. Mark was striking me as a divisive figure, a little quick to judge, even quicker to reprimand. After a good few beers, we went home and I stopped off at Mark's apartment for one more. Got a little ugly. I was getting ready to leave when the subject of Islam came up. Mark said, so self-assuredly, so self-evidently, that Muslims were all violent. We went back and forth on this, arguing in his kitchen, about the Quran and terror attacks and hijabs and whatnot, and how Mark lived in Saudi Arabia, and, to quote him directly, Pardon me, Adam, but you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I've seen it. It was like a Twitter spat, but real. We didn't even agree to disagree. We left it hanging sourly in the air and I went home to bed. The following evening I got an email from Mark. The subject box read simply, Well, yeah, who knew? The body of the email stated that in the Central African Republic, Muslims had massacred an entire village of Christians and the governments and the media of the West were refusing to mention it because of political correctness. Below this comment was a photograph of dozens of corpses burnt to charcoal laying in lines in the dusty yellow earth. I sent a text message to Mark. Please don't send me any more disgusting emails. He replied ten minutes later. Yeah, I suppose that one was a bit dark. Ha ha. This darkening atmosphere was the last thing I needed. I resolved to rise above it, carry on as normal. And so it was that, not long after, when I saw Mark's wife outside the teacher's dorm, I agreed to come by for dinner. Bygones were bygones, and we went on as if nothing ever happened. In fact, stopping short of apologising, Mark mentioned that he was going to send me a video about the European Convention on Human Rights. It was by a Brit. But he changed his mind because I probably wouldn't like it. I appreciated that. After dinner, we played games on people's iPhones, and Mark told us that women in their feminist quest to be like men, had forgotten that they were beautiful. He also told us that we, as foreign teachers, sink or swim together, and he felt that some teachers were not pulling their weight to support the cause. Quite what the cause was, I wasn't sure, but I guessed that Eddie had some idea, based on his continued agitations in meetings and calls for action on emails. By the time the weekend had come round again, we were off to brew kettle once more, and this time... Kelly stayed away, but Penny came. Once more the drinking was pacey, and with another week of teaching under our belts, there was more ammunition with which to gossip and bitch about the school. Mark had two children, a boy and a girl aged six and four, highly intelligent. The elder of the two was already beginning to learn Chinese, while the younger boy was falling on his face as often as possible. Now they were running around with an umbrella and a balloon, jumping in the puddles. Mark and his wife were keeping a watchful eye on them. On the other side of the table, Penny and I were chatting about work, and I was saying how it hasn't been possible to get a proper cup of tea since being in China. Black tea, what the Chinese call red tea, hong cha, often comes as a milk tea latte or British milk tea, but it's very milky and sweet, not how a tea should be. Penny was typically dismissive of my English snobbery. Americans, they just don't get it. Mark was telling the kids not to splash each other with polluted Chinese rainwater. That's how he referred to it. The polluted Chinese rainwater. Still, I said to Penny, you might not be able to get a decent cuppa, but it's nice of them to give us discounts on the new on-campus bakery. And this sparked a conversation about how privileged we foreigners were, getting the salaries and the big rooms to live in, and then discounts to top it off, while the Chinese teachers would be reprimanded for even going in the bakery. During work hours. And while a single foreigner has a large apartment to themselves, Chinese teachers are crammed in three to a room and a smaller room at that. And then there's the long hours they do, and well, Mark had heard enough. He'd brought his family halfway around the world, he told us, so don't tell him about sacrifice. It's a market, he went on, a well functioning market. The profits are coming in, the English teachers are drawn to the job, the Chinese staff have respectable jobs, everybody wins. Penny tried to get a word in, but by this point, Mark was on a roll. If you start regulating the wages, he was saying, you end up in trouble. When you interfere with the market, you end up in big trouble. Look at China. Centralized state spending, even at provincial level. Building apartment blocks, even though there's no one to live there. You end up with ghost towns. By now, Mark was lecturing, and Penny had been provoked. So off she went about American ghost towns, deregulation, jobs going overseas. But Mark was having none of this. And he simply told us to go read Mises and the Austrian School Economists and then we can talk. Penny got up and stormed inside. Mark and I chuckled and had a large, a very large gulp of Qingdao beer. It was a chuckle tinged with tension. Penny and Mark were opinionated beings, that much had been established. The alcohol only added a deeper sense of self-righteousness. Penny went inside to play pool alone and after a period of innocent nattering, Mark went inside to refill his beer glass. He came out ten minutes later, with his blue shirt displaying the unmistakable blob of a misplaced beer. He was laughing, but it seemed that there had been some kind of altercation beside the pool table. Five minutes later, Penny came out, stepping confidently up to us. Mark sat back, one leg crossed, looking directly into Penny's eyes. Never for one moment, during Penny's speech, his telling off, did either of their eyes wander. They were locked together like magnets. I sat there in the middle, my head switching between them like this was some kind of tennis match with one player smashing aces and the other doing yoga. Penny didn't raise her voice at all. She just said that if he wants to play pool with her, then he'd best keep his snide remarks to himself, because she used to work in the docks, and she don't take shit from anyone especially not some big arrogant man. And if he can't do that, then she'll pour his beer right down him, no questions asked. Mark was unfazed. He waited for Penny to finish talking and raised his hand, like a child in one of our classes. May I say something? he said. Sure. Go fuck yourself, bitch. Penny paused and the words hung in the air like a smoggy cloud of acidic water droplets. Okay. And off she walked into the rain. So yes, shots fired in paradise. We've only been a few weeks in the job and the personalities are all out and heck, we're all living in the same damn building. Well, I began to feel the need for a little trip away. So next time, let's visit the vast, rich, cultured, megalopolis of Shanghai, and thanks to Makai Symphony for their copyright-free epic battle music, Dragon Castle.